Get your Bibles out, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 24, 25, 26, and 27. Yes, brothers and sisters, it's Miracle Sunday. Your pastor is going to attempt to preach three chapters of Acts. Did that put the fear of God in you? Well, let's see, let's see where we land with all of this. This morning, our title is, That Has Not Been Done in This Corner. This is a quote directly from the Apostle Paul. And as we look at that, you, we have a modern-day picture of the city uh, on the coast of Caesarea. This actually exists now. And you'll see the, the brilliance of, uh, this was not... Um, you know, Bedrosi and, and Sons, they did not walk in there and just decide to tile that up. These are, these are tiles, these are pieces of marble that they have excavated, that they have found. That was literally a floor in this portico area that they have been able to uncover. It's absolutely brilliant what they're finding in Caesarea. This is where our entire story takes place today. Before we get there, my question to you is, have you ever found yourself in a place that you just said, why am I here? Why do you have me here, Lord? And, and when are you getting me out of here? Maybe even more so in the sense of saying, Lord, you know how we were working together. We had a great team thing going. It was really thriving and you've got me stuck here, and nothing's happening. And the same thing the next day, and the same thing the next day. Uh, I, when I was down in Los Angeles, I was a youth pastor for 20-some-odd years in uh, Santa Clarita. And I played ball at Master's College and decided to lean on that as a fortunistic opportunity to get on campus at a local high school. So I thought... I'll go and I'll say, hey, I'd love to help coach your goalkeepers. And so as I approached, uh, the, the, the coach for the soccer program there, uh, he got real excited. And I thought, I really thought this was going to be harder to do this. And really what it was is it was kind of a technique to be able to get on campus and to have a presence on campus uh, to, to have exposure to my students and to have exposure to other students that I didn't know, right? Get into their world. And so it, it, it wasn't anything that was new. It's something that is um, it's a common application. What I did not know is that I was about to become the JV coach for two and a half, three years, and then soon to be the varsity coach for another two years. And I will tell you, after about four years of coaching, and all the time that it took away from being where I was supposed to be at church, I was asking God, you know, why, why am I here? I've not had any serious opportunities to present the gospel. I've given all this time, all this effort, and it's costing me over in this area why do you have me here? Because I thrive over here. This is an area where I feel like I'm just getting nothing done. 
Why do you have me here? What's fascinating is that I never knew the importance of what he had laid out. The day that I walked on campus and interviewed and just thought, I'm just going to play this little role. And we took it five years later in building relationships with all the administrators having a presence on campus, building relationships with parents outside of our church, with my, with my athletes outside of church. And within our church and within our community, there was a horrific, tragic accident that happened the last year I coached. And one of my kids from my youth group was in a car that was racing 120 miles an hour down a, a, a street that would be like Concord Boulevard, lost control, hit the center meridian, flew across, sheared the top off an un oncoming car, killed that man instantly, and killed three of the men, or three of the boys in this vehicle. The one boy, Nicky, who was in my group, was the younger brother of someone I'm very, very close to, and his name is Tony. And Tony called me that night and said, I need you to get over to Soledad and White's. Nikki was in an accident. And Nikki was sitting on the curb talking with Tony, and what they didn't know is Nikki was bleeding out in, in, internally. And Nikki died in his brother's arms that night. And it became a huge thing all over the LA news. And the next thing I know, I go to campus and it's locked down. Nobody can get on because all the news vans are there. You know how this goes. All the news vans are there. And yet I have immediate access. And so I, I go to where they're all advertising all the students would be, which is in the library. You know, you hear about that. We're setting up counseling centers. Can I just tell you, there wasn't anybody in there. There were, there were three counselors, but there wasn't anybody in there. Everybody was in the quad. Nobody was going to classes. Everybody was in the quad. And so... I stepped down and, and was talking to some of my players and, uh, and they were just weeping. And one boy survived. His name's Brandon. The principal of that school brought Brandon to me in the middle of the school day. Had him sit with me and he said, would you please talk with Brandon because I know you're going to be able to help him and feel free to pray for him. I spent so much time saying, God, why am I wasting my time here? Why am I wasting my time? We may be saying that. We may feel out of sorts. We may be in a position that we're saying, God, you and I were thriving over here. Why this? So I have this ball that sits in my office that's signed by all my players. And, uh, you know, those messages mean a lot to me. I have this plaque in my office where we won league and um, it was a promise that I made to our team that we would do this not because of our talent but because if they loved each other enough, if they cared enough about each other that they would, they would accomplish great things. And that's why I keep this up on my wall as a reminder. We'll get back to that in a minute. How does that apply to Paul and where he's at? Well, Let's look. Acts 23 through 26. Uh, are you where you're supposed to be? Right? Am I where I'm supposed to be? 
Here I am uh, standing before you trying to uh, share with you the deeper knowledge of Scripture to encourage you to edify your life. And so we find Paul, and we're looking at a story, and, and we have the, the challenge of pulling from the story something that's going to help you and I in our week. Or maybe it's going to help us even in this moment because of where we've been. And maybe what we're saying today is, God, why are you having me waste my time here? Because we were thriving over here. And maybe sometimes we don't see it. You see, what we're going to do is we're going to talk real quickly through these chapters. I'm just going to focus on a few points. And the reason is, is because it's all interconnected. Let me take you out of the middle of 23. So Paul uh, has gone through a tribunal already. He's in Jerusalem. And Paul has a nephew. Did you know Paul had a nephew? Paul has a nephew. And his nephew comes to him in the middle of the night because he's heard that there's a plot against him. And he says, there's a whole group that's going to pretend to be interested in, and wants to have you hold court tomorrow. They're going to kill you. You need to get out of town. So Paul sends this nephew to uh, Lysias, Claudius Lysias, the, the tribune that was over Antonio Fortress that we've seen these interactions going on. And he pulls him aside and he says, what do you need to tell me, young man? And he, and he shares with him and he organizes 200 troops. Have you ever had an escort anywhere? Paul gets a 200 troop escort. And I think 80 of these are on horse, right? Have you ever wondered what your memorial service will be like, right? Because if you all come to mind, not that anything's happening, but if you all come to mind, I want at least 50 of you on Harleys, okay? I want 50 of you on Harleys. Just, that's kind of what happens with Paul, and he's, he's being taken to this city because he's been taken to the next in line, the, the higher authority. The tribune finally says, Lysias finally says, enough is enough. I'm getting you out of town, and you're going up to Felix. You're going to go up to Caesarea, the, the seat, kind of the county seat, if you will, where the governor is, and he's going to be your problem. So I, I have this fascination today with alliteration with the letter F. So we have the fickle fascination and faith of the famous. All right, don't, don't write that down. That's just, that's just bonus. Felix kept Paul under arrest indefinitely. Let's turn to 24. I just gave you kind of the breakdown of, uh, of what happened going into where we're picking things up. And so Paul is on his way from Jerusalem to Caesarea. He arrives in Caesarea, and we're going to pick it up. Oh, by the way, which corner was Paul hiding out in? The, the title of our sermon is, This Has Not Been Done in a Corner. That's a weird title, isn't it? When we were at our pastor's conference one of the speakers up there said, you know, the biggest challenge for all of us is always coming up with a title for the sermon. I don't know, that's, but, but then this week, that's what happened. This is a direct quote from Paul, and this is where we're going to finish today. This has not been done in a corner. And so these are pictures of Caesarea. So this is a real picture now, right, from the air. And what does this look like right here? NASCAR for horses, that's right. All right, so... Right on the ocean, right? Oceanfront property. The Romans knew how to do it. And so they had their games right there. And this whole area were stands. And right there is where Felix would have sat, Festus would have sat, Agrippa would have sat, 
Herod would have sat, right? That was the box for, for uh, royalty, the VIP box, if you will. And then out on this end was an area that was Herod's palace. This area was another palace that they've just uncovered. Um, and, and you can kind of see how this was a, a natural harbor, but they built walls up around it. Some in the room have been there. And it's one of my favorite places when I go to Israel. So here we find Paul traveling to this place. And he arrives and he meets with Felix. So let's look at verse 22 in 24. We're going to be 22 through uh, 27. I got some questions for you. Are you where you're supposed to be? According to the Lord, are you where you're supposed to be? Secondly, how do you even know that? How do you measure it? How do you measure whether you are where you need to be or not? Because sometimes we question God, do we not? Right? And I could just imagine, as you go with me and you see how long Paul is in prison in Caesarea, I want you to think about all that we've learned about Paul and how he is, he is just taking names. He's going all throughout the, the Mediterranean and establishing churches, and thousands of people have come into the faith, the Gentiles and the Jews. Incredible, right? Paul is the sharp tip of the spear. And now what we're going to do is we're going to just lock him up for a really long time. So he can't speak, he can't share, he can't do anything. God, what are you thinking? Because that's how I would measure what was happening. Do we measure that way? God, what are you thinking? And yet there's something deeper going on here, which is usually what happens with the Lord. How does one know where God wants them to be? Great question. And does it matter? You know, I can ask all those questions and, and you are totally uninterested. Say, well, I don't care. I don't care what God wants. I mean, let's be real. This is the pulpit of the real here, okay? Sometimes we just, we just say, well, I don't care. I don't care what God has for me. Realize that when we get to that point where we say, I don't care what God has for me, then we slide out from underneath His grace. We slide out from underneath His will. We slide out from underneath His plan. And I've not met the person yet that it went better for them in the long run. Right? You guys remember a certain Old, Old Testament prophet named Jonah who said, I don't care. By the way, that's where we're going to be after Acts. We're going to the book of Jonah. So does it matter? I certainly hope it does. Does it always make sense to do the Lord's will? Let me just answer that real quickly. Yes. How long to sing this song is our first point this morning. Are you in a spot that doesn't what? Nice. Fit you. Somebody's on the notes. Very good. Well done, Pam. Uh, you have notes in your bulletin if you're following along. Doesn't fit you? Frustrates you? Or falls on you? Ooh, that one, that's like a prolific, really wise statement. I probably got that from my wife. It was funny because CJ, I, I asked him when we were at the banquet on Friday night for the options for women, I said, hey, how'd your day go? He says, oh, it was, you know, it was a rough day. I had to do laundry. And I thought to myself, I never admitted this to him, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come clean now. <laughs> Get it? Laundry clean. Um, it just dawned on me, I haven't done my laundry in a very long time. I mean, I can do it. Amen. I got an amen from the front row. <laughs> so look, honestly, what falls on you, the laundry never fell on my wife. I mean, it has occasionally when we throw it from the top of the stairs down to the bottom. 
but uh, we never sat down and parsed out responsibilities. And so sometimes I will get in there and I'll, I'll, I don't even know where the soap is for the laundry. <laughs> so, but uh, she just does it. And, and so I thought about it this morning. I'm saying, how did that happen? What? And so I, I just, I'll let you know, this morning I went to my wife and I said, I just want to thank you for doing my laundry all these years. Because it fell on you. Literally, it fell on you. But we don't always ask for things and yet they fall on us, Right? Paul didn't ask to be tossed around like a political monkey. And yet this is where we are over these three chapters. So what happens? Well, Paul was stuck in prison, but for God's reasons. What are those reasons? I think influence. I think influence. I will tell you that I believe that Paul, in these three chapters, is the Billy Graham of Rome. I don't know if anybody's ever preached that one before, but, but let's see what I mean by that. Um, let me take you to Psalm 40. You can turn there real quickly. Paul's message about the resurrection is about to go viral. So far, Paul has been traveling to villages and to some major metropolises like Corinth, like Ephesus, and he's been going into these towns and he's been dealing with people that are from the city. They're, they're of the earth. They're of the community. And so germanely, organically, the church has risen up. Now God says, I'm going to change this, and I'm going to put you in a position to change it. I'm going to give you some incredible influence. It may not be how you want to get there, but I'm going to give you some incredible influence. And so much so, my ability to pray with Brandon and to have parents of my, of my athletes call me over the years saying, hey, my daughter needs counseling, would you do this, or... You'll hear at the end of the message today where one of my players came back to me just this past year reflecting some things. It made all those years worth it of standing out there in the freezing cold at winter time and, and having people bark at me and bark at my wife and, you know, who is this guy and what does he think he's doing? And, and, uh, and that was with incredibly winning seasons, so there is no glory. Um, Psalm 40. I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. You're actually going to hear it today. If you want to sing it, feel free to sing it. Does anybody recognize Psalm 40 from the 80s? Oh, good. Uh, psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He set my feet upon the rock. He pulled me from the miry clay. And I want us to see real briefly beyond those words because we're, you're going to hear those words sung in a little bit. And, and feel free to join in um, during that time. The words will be on the screen. But it, said, it continues to say this, uh, He inclined and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What we see happen here over these chapters, over this duration and time period in Paul's life and this very uncharacteristic moment provides the groundwork for many 
to see and to hear. You often hear that question, you know, if God truly wanted to save mankind, why would he not just instantly give universal salvation? Why would, why would he make it so that some don't hear? And, and, and maybe some of you have wondered about your favorite singer, or maybe some of you have wondered about your favorite actor, and you've had this fantasy of sharing Christ with them, right? And, and you're like, what? What are you talking about? I would never do that. Yes, you would. Of course you would. There are people that actually think about those things. What if you could talk to one of the world leaders? What would you say? What if you were thrown into a conference room and you had the attention of a world leader? What would you say? Well, Paul is thrown into the room. His feet are set upon a rock. His feet are pulled out of the miry clay. You remember where Paul's been. He's been moving all over the place and he's been mired in suffering. He's been mired in persecution. He's been mired in controversy over and over and over. And so the Lord is going to put him into another place and he's going to pull him out of all this fray where the crowd wants to destroy him, wants to kill him, literally wants to tear him limb from limb. And he pulls him out of that and he puts him into an incredible place of position. Who are the players? Felix and Drusilla, Lysias, Ananias, Tertullus, Festus, Agrippa, Bernice, and eventually Caesar. So let's look at this real quickly. I want, I want to read this passage to you, 24, 22. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, which was what the believing church was called, put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So Felix, the governor of Caesarea, is going to hear Paul's case, but he's got to get the accusers in front of Paul because that was Roman law. So he's got to store them somewhere, right? So he, he, he keeps them there in the in, in a vicinity where he's under, say, house arrest kind of a situation, but nothing was denied to him. He was taken care of, he had good accommodations, and he had easy access to anybody who wanted to visit with him. Sounds like he's cullied some favor from Felix. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry, hang on a second. Uh, I think I got that wrong. I, it says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about the current political temperature of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. Um, no, uh, about the horticulture patterns that he noticed between, say, Jerusalem and... Uh, no, global warm... No, it hasn't happened yet. See, Paul's taken from a fort in Jerusalem where people want to kill him. And he's taken to the governor. He's given decent accommodations, granted access, unlimited access by all of his friends, family, whomever. And he finally gets his day in front of the governor. And what does he share? He shares Jesus Christ. He shares Jesus Christ. He doesn't talk politics, doesn't talk Rome. He talks Jesus for the moment that he is given. 
And it says, And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Hmm. Folks, that's the sound of conviction. That's the sound of truth rattling someone. That's the sound of, of God working in someone's heart. And yet what happened? Just remember this, when you're being pulled out of the miry clay and you're placed somewhere where you're thinking, why am I here? And you take the moment to go ahead and preach truth, what will normally happen? This. And yet, for some reason, we believe that Felix should turn to Jesus on the spot. And that would be a successful venture. Felix says, go away. I'll call you when I want to hear something again. Go away. Paul wasn't rattled. Not one iota. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, how many years? We're playing this game for two years. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Mm. Some of you are just worried about that promotion next month. Right? Are you in a spot that doesn't fit you or frustrates you or falls on you? How long to sing this song? How long? And yet when given the opportunity, Paul saw what God was doing. He gave him an audience, a private audience, with the governor from Rome over northern Palestine. And he did not waste that opportunity. And what happened? Felix turned to Christ immediately. No. You see, Paul goes back, and, and we'll see here in a minute at the end of 26, where Paul says this same message before Agrippa the king, Herod Agrippa II, the king, he does the same thing. And you'll see the beauty of the situation. Paul does not falter because he rem remembers what he was called to. And he states that in 26. And so let's get there, shall we? Acts 24, 27. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor. Is that politics? It is. It is politics. And the reason is, is simply because he doesn't want a problem. What's his job? His job is to keep the peace. So as long as I keep Paul in prison, and by the way, Paul and I, we're, we're bros. He gets me, right? I'm making sure he's getting three squares a day. He gets the Torah, right? He's getting the, the Caesarea Times. He's got free Wi-Fi. You know, Paul's doing fine. As long as I keep him here, the Jews are happy. But I'm not making a decision that's going to get everybody mad. I'm not saying that has anything to do with our state of affairs today, but I'll let the Scripture speak. So Felix left Paul in prison. Paul, the political pawn. Freedom is not an option. There's, a, there's an ironic thing when it comes to your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have that faith. Galatians 5 talks about because of Christ we are set free. We are set free from the bondage of sin and death. But we are not free when we truly follow Christ to do what we want. 
Paul demonstrated this in saying, I'm a servant. You're going to hear some great words by Paul in a moment as to why he's doing what he's doing. But you've got to believe he's frustrated, right? Felix, I just told you what happened. My accusers aren't even showing up. Can I, you know, it's been like six months. Okay, let's go. Yeah, just hold on, Paul. Have some hummus. Enjoy the place. Right? What, what are you in a hurry for? And so he keeps him in prison. Paul is a political pawn. Right? This fell on Paul, and he never asked for it. But he was obedient to it. How long to sing this song? One year? Two year? Three year? How many years? We'll find out over the next few weeks. So Acts 24, 26 through 27 gives us the next bit of insight to this. You've already heard this statement that uh, Felix wanted to give a favor to the Jews. When you hear that word favor, see we're using a lot of the F today, right? When you hear that word favor, it, it comes with some hidden territory, doesn't it? So it says at the same time he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. <laughs> Does this sound like politics? Right? Hey, Paul, you know, I'd love to let you go. Have you seen the East Wing? Aren't you, like, in the East Wing? That place could use some upgrades, you know? You, do you have friends back home, you know, powerful people? You know, I'll tell you what, you know, you scratch my back. You eat my hummus, I'll eat your hummus, right? So he's a political pawn. Let me speak to this real quickly. We go to chapter 25, and it continues on. Look at verse 9 of chapter 25. Now, chapter 25 is interesting because what happens is that Festus now arrives, and Felix is leaving. Now the whole thing happens again for Festus. And Paul goes before Festus, and he shares his information with Festus, and then he calls the Jews up from Jerusalem, and they make these accusations. And Festus says, I find no merit. It's just, a, it's just a side issue. It's a philosophical issue about their religion. There's nothing to prosecute this man over. That's what Festus rules. That's what Felix rules. And yet Paul's still in prison. Paul was a political pawn. <coughs> and the same thing applies. Verse 9, But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? Oh, here we go. We're going right back to where we started. Right? I, I, I put something out last week on social media about this whole fray that's out there and was really trying to talk about the issue of, brothers and sisters, there's nothing new under the sun. And I actually quoted that out of Ecclesiastes, that we should not be shocked at, at how people are behaving because there's power that's involved. And so we need to be about the truth. We need to be about loving, and we need to be Christ-like and just encourage individuals to act like Christ in the midst of all of this, which means what? It means they will know us by our what? By our love. They knew Christ because of his love. Christ, a king who surrendered his title and came humbly like a lamb to the slaughter. This is the demonstration of what it means to be a true leader, not someone who is currying power. And so 
they go right back into this whole thing. And, and this is where Paul, in, in the latter part of verse 11, says, I appeal to Caesar. Fine, if you're going to play these games, here's my trump card. I appeal to Caesar. That was not intentional. It's just, you know, it's the way that we say that. All right? I appeal to Caesar. Send me to Caesar. I'm done with this. We're not going backwards, folks. And so Paul gets some, some chutzpah here. And it's interesting because it finishes out, it says, Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now the next player comes in in verse 13. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. Now we've got a king involved. Now this king is, the, is from the lineage of Herod. You're going to hear in a little bit where Paul says, You know these things, Agrippa. You know these things, king. Why? Because Herod, every Herod, had, had come from an, a region called, a region that was like the, the Edomites, going way back, way back before the Maccabean War, all of that. That was their, part of their lineage by marriage. And, and Rome. And so those two things intermixed. And so every, uh, every, wherever you see the word Herod in the New Testament, there was a belief, there was a practice even, of the Jewish laws, the Jewish traditions, and that's why you always saw the Herods going to Jerusalem. And this Herod as well, Agrippa too, he was probably about 30 years of age at this time, and his quote-unquote partner, which her name is Bernice, is actually his sister. And his sister had been married to, I think, their uncle, and then he was murdered. If you don't know the Herod family, they should make a soap opera of it. It would shock you because they're all nuts. And so after she was married at like age 13 to his uncle, he dies. And I think he was murdered. And she actually ends up marrying her brother, so to speak. Now that's shocking to us. Just understand who Paul's talking to. Understand Paul would have known who John the Baptist was and how he spoke out against his family and what it did to him. What do we do in the face of these things that are not the representation of righteousness as God would have them be? And so Paul, in a moment, is about to tell Agrippa, you know the law. You know these prophecies. You know the prophets. And Agrippa's comment is fascinating. It's fascinating. Paul is now in a unique fraternity. He's one of the 13th... Or, or one of the apostles, but sometimes referred to as the 13th apostle. Why? Because eventually this will cost him his life. And all the apostles, save for John, were martyred. The favor of Christ over the favor of man or circumstance is the measure of how long we sing this song. How long does Paul need to keep giving testimony? Do you remember where we were? Well, let's wrap up by talking about it. He gets free publicity. What do they say about publicity? Any publicity is good publicity, right? Free publicity for such a time as this. Who said that, biblically? Yes. Actually, I think it was Mordecai. Was it Mordecai? It was Mordecai, but in the book of Esther. And Esther's going through a similar problem, right? She's had something fall upon her. She's been taken out of her normal world and she's been thrust into a situation that's a no-win. And Mordecai 
says to her, maybe for such a time as this, God has placed you here. This is exactly what he's doing with Paul. So, so far, Paul has spoken to two governors, two Roman governors. How many, uh, how many governors, how many of you have been able to speak to our governor about Jesus Christ? Or any very, very important figurehead person that could take that message and, and lay it out? What was it that Christ said? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all parts of the earth. You see this prophecy is being fulfilled. And he's telling Paul, I need you to go and I need you to do this. It's very different than where you've been, but I need you to do this. So where's he go? So turn to 26. And now Paul is in front of Agrippa, the king. He's on his third major player. It says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice say to me in the Hebrew language. He's talking about his conversion again. This is the third time we see this in the book of Acts. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now we get something a little bit different here than the other accounts. Listen to this. Paul says this in front of Agrippa. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to the light. Remember that turn to the darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow, that wasn't in the story before. Now what we have it fits with what we've heard, but Paul gives a deeper explanation. He gives the he gives more here in front of Agrippa. He gives the gospel, but he also is talking about He's under Christ's directive. He's under God's directive to do these things. It's not of his own volition. So why is he doing what he's doing? Because he says a little bit earlier, this idea, therefore, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. You just heard the vision that was given to him. Where Jesus said, you will go. You will proclaim my name. You will do this. So Paul's saying, what? I'm not going to be disobedient to that instruction. It fell on me. It fell on me. How long will I sing this song? As long as it takes. As long as it takes because I'm obedient to my, my Lord and Savior because I believe in Him. He has never left me. He has never forsaken me. He has set my feet on a rock. He has pulled me from the miry clay. Amen? And so look at the beauty of that statement. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly visions. You have been placed into positions. You have been put into places that I can never reach. And you may say, why am I not here? Why am I not there? Why am I not where I used to be? Why don't we just simply say whatever the Lord is directing, whatever the Lord is doing, I will obey that and I will not be silent about Christ. I got to talk about Jesus sitting in a barber's chair the other day. 
And the guy was so overwhelmed, he just did this to my head. Just got crazy. Right? We call this the Jesus cut, okay? I got to share Jesus with my barista. I got to talk about Jesus to, to uh, an individual that, that connects up with me with, with sports. A mechanic. Now, sometimes it's really easy for me because they'll ask me, what do you do? And I can say I'm a shepherd, but most people don't understand that these days, right? What about you? God has placed you into a particular place. You may see the beauty of it. You may say, hey, Lord, we had a really good thing going over here. Or, Lord, if you could just do this, it'd be a much better situation. Maybe God has you there for a reason, just like he had Paul there for a reason. Because the gospel was preached to not just one governor, but two governors and a king. Paul was Billy Graham to Rome. And he's about to go see Caesar. Wow. Wow. Talk about taking the, the gospel viral. Would that have happened if Paul was out roaming around on his fourth missionary journey? Probably not. God had his purpose and his intentionality. And it is to that which we listen. It is to that which we work towards. It is to that which is an honor to be part of. Amen? It is an honor to be part of. In closing, <coughs> I thought about how would I bookend this? I stopped coaching in 2002 at, at, at Canyon High School. And I always wondered, Father, you know, that was five years of being out there for countless hours, and I'm really not that invested into sports that I would give up that much time to do that. But I, I didn't get as much time that I thought I would to share the gospel. One of my players sent this to me recently. And I want to share it with you. And by the way, I just saw something that she put online. She just got a tattoo on her forearm. And that tattoo says witch. And she's proud of it. And she's searching. And she has uh, joined some school for Mother Gaia. And there's a picture of her and 20 women laying down in this geometric form while someone walks around and is spraying them, I think, with hemp. Um, she's searching. By the way, did Felix become a believer that we know of? Did Festus become a believer that we know of? Did Agrippa become a believer that we know of? We have no idea on any of that. By the way, you know what Agrippa's last words were? Paul. After Paul gets done with his beautiful soliloquy of testimony of Christ, he says, Paul, would you try to make me a Christian in such a short time? Festus, who was there, said to Paul, shut up. You're coming across kind of nuts. It's the king. Stop it. And Paul says, Festus, we cool? 
said it in Hebrew, which is <laughs> Don't quote me. But he says, I am of right mind. I am using reasoning to talk to the king. Ask him. He knows. He knows all the prophecies. And Agrippa was troubled as well because he knew. Now Paul faced mockery by Festus. He faced being put in prison again. But I'll tell you what showed up is that those Roman accusers never turned him over to a crowd that had no justification to kill him. So God used those individuals to t keep taking the message of the gospel and being light over and over and over to areas that were dark. I just told you about my player. Let me tell you, let me read to you what she wrote to me recently. Coach, I just freaked out a little when I saw the video of Jericho taking uh, photos, uh, getting so stoked. It was from a trip that we did. I remember being on the canyon practice field when you told us you were having a girl. Crazy. She's beautiful, as is your entire family. I felt compelled to tell you how grateful I am to have you as a coach. The giggles in the video remind me of the joy you brought back to our favorite game. You made my senior season. And whatever reason it was for any player you've coached, incredible. I have a lot of coaches in my life, and you stand out to me because the most important thing about playing a sport is the fun you have doing it. That always came first with you, and it was instilled in me. Thank you for being the person you are. Thank you for inspiring me to see the joy in things after I thought I couldn't. You came into my life at such a pivotal point, and I want to thank you for being such a ray of light. Thank you for giving me and all the girls such amazing memories. I will forever feel so lucky to have played for you, wishing you and your family the best. Now she sees herself now as a witch and proudly promotes that. I can't change that. What that statement said to me is that the Lord put me in a place at just the right time where I was saying, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? And so I encourage you to pray for this young lady. I love her dearly. Pray for her that that message of light that she heard, she thinks it has to do with having fun, you know, in sports. She knows there was more to it than that, but that's the only way she could articulate it. She's heard it. And by the way, all my players heard the gospel. I made sure of that. Pray that that message and that seed takes root in her life because it's obvious that she's searching. Is it not? It's obvious that she's searching. How long to sing that song? I'm going to ask the worship band to come up and they're going to play 40 for you and then we're going to continue on in worship. And as we do so, I encourage you, Paul literally says, and here's the end of it, Festus tells him, Paul, stop! You're talking to Agrippa, and he says to Festus and Agrippa, do you think that this happened in a corner? Do you think this happened in this little small space where it's just going to stay confined and nobody knows about this? No. No, I'm obedient to my calling. And this message is going viral. And it's a message of light to those who need hope. Let me pray over you this morning. Father, take this message 
encourage us, lead us in it. For each person with wherever their heart is, wherever their mind is, wherever their spirit is, let them understand that message of light. And they may have landed in a place, Father, that they're wondering why are they there and they feel like they're in captivity and they're not doing what they need to be doing, but you may have something desperately important waiting right in that moment. Let them use that moment under your guidance just like we see Paul. How long to sing this song? A song of joy, a song of praise, a song of redemption. Thank you, Father. To you be all glory. Amen.